scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be picking up uh, where we left off last week in verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. Now, you'll, you'll remember last week that Jesus and his disciples, they are on the, their final trip, uh, their road trip to Jerusalem, uh, because Jesus has been telling them that once they get to Jerusalem, that he is going to be killed. He's going to be delivered over. He's going to be uh, arrested and flocked and, and, uh, and mocked, and eventually he'll be killed. Now, this was the third time that he had told his disciples this, the passage that we were in last week, just, just before where we're at today. And after each time that he tells them he's going to be killed, uh, they respond really badly, showing that they still are very blind to what this all means. They didn't yet understand how he could be their rescuer and how he could be their savior, and yet at the same time, he's going to be killed. They, they, they couldn't understand. They believed he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, but they couldn't see how his death was really going to rescue anybody. And so the first time that he told them he was going to be killed, remember Peter pulls a Jesus aside and Peter rebukes Jesus. Uh, the second time that he tells them he's going to be killed, an argument uh, breaks out amongst the disciples about who is the greatest amongst themselves. And then after the third time, what we saw last week, James and John approach Jesus and they ask that they would be seated on his right and left hand in the kingdom uh, when he comes into his glory. And so they want the glory, they want the status, they want the honor, they want the fame. And, and they prove that they aren't getting it yet. And Jesus taught them last week that if you want to be great, you must serve. And you must follow his example. And in verse 45, which we looked at last week, which is a really big and important verse in the Gospel of Mark, it's really a, probably a big, important verse just in the whole Bible. Uh, but in verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the reason I recapped where we are at is because I want to remind you, I want it to be fresh on your mind, this interaction that he has just had with James and John who have asked him for glory and honor and fame and status because today we are going to contrast what James and John's request of Jesus was to that of a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. 
And I might at times just call him Bart for short, okay? So stick with me. That's who I'm referring to, Bartimaeus. And we're going to see, by contrasting these two requests, we're going to see who the real blind one really is in this scenario. Because you see, we often, we often approach Jesus like James and John did. And in reality, we should be approaching him like Bartimaeus did. So let's pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's pray and we'll jump in. <clears throat> Father God, we do thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you that we have access to it. We thank you that we can uh, gather with fellow believers and study it and read it and sing it and preach it. But Lord, as we come to your word, I ask that we would not come lightly to your word, but that we would come expectantly. Jesus, where else would we go? We know that you have the words of life that bring life to us, that sustains us, that feeds us, that nourishes us. And so, Lord, as, as we preach your word, as we hear and receive your word, we ask that it would be an encouragement to us, that it would be nourishing to our souls, that it would convict those that need to be convicted, and that it would comfort those that need to be comforted. But ultimately, we ask that it would transform us, that it would make us more like you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I've titled this sermon, The Blind Beggar with a Name. The Blind Beggar with a Name. And the reason that I titled it is because I was so surprised that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... We see all these healings happening, okay? We're leaving, we're leaving the Gospel of John out for a second right now. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus do all these healings. And this story of Bartimaeus, he is the only one that we know his name. This is the only one whose name is recorded. Like, like all the other healings, we haven't uh, heard people's names yet. But here, he heals this blind man, and we know his name was Bartimaeus. And so this should stand out to us as to why John Mark, who's writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, why they knew his name. Because that was my question. Like, why? Why of all the healings? Why this one do we know his name? And the most probable reason is because after Bartimaeus is healed, it says that he followed Jesus. He was healed, he, and then he became a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And it is likely that Bartimaeus then followed Jesus to Jerusalem. It's likely that he continued to stay there with the disciples through the crucifixion. It's likely he was still with them after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to them. It's likely he was a part of the day of Pentecost when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fill uh, his followers. And so John Mark knew his name because he wasn't just some beggar that they met once in Jericho. Uh, this was their boy, Bartimaeus, right? They were in city group together. Like they still were doing life together. He was still a follower and a believer and part of the early church. This was the guy who every testimony night just, you know, just kind of rocked the house with this story that he once was blind, but now he sees. That's really a hard one to top, right? Unless Lazarus shows up, right? But that's a, that's a hard one to top, and all that to be said, listen, it's important for you to know that this blind beggar has a name because once he was healed, 
he followed and he continued to follow after Jesus. And therefore, he is a fellow disciple of Christ. And through his life, we learn much about our own discipleship as well. It is, it is his physical blindness being healed that helps open our eyes to see that the way he came to Jesus is the way we come to Jesus as well. We learn much about our own spiritual blindness and need of healing. We learn it from our brother in Christ, Bartimaeus, who once was blind, but now he sees. And we saw, we saw last week that spiritually blind people, like James and John, who aren't really seeing this thing yet, spiritually blind people come to Jesus seeking glory. But people who have been given eyes to see, they come to Jesus seeking something else. Something else. And we're going to see that in our passage this morning. So look at Mark 10, verse 46. <clears throat> Mark 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus and his disciples, they've made it to Jericho, which is one of their last stops before they get to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is a pretty uh, famous city. You might remember this from the Old Testament uh, or from Sunday school class, right? That Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. Anyone else? Yeah, come on. All right, all right, all the Sunday school kids, right? Yeah, okay. It's okay if you don't know that song. It's, it's, it's not one of the, the top greatest songs, so. uh, but we can teach it to those that, that need to learn it. But here they are. They're in Jericho, and this is a city that was known to be filled with palm trees and fruit trees. It was like an oasis in the desert. It was like a garden in the midst of a wilderness, and news of Jesus had spread throughout all the region. And we once again, we see like we always do with Jesus, that wherever he's at, a great crowd is around him, probably pressing in on every side. But here we see outside of the crowd, sitting on the side of the road, was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now look at his helpless and hopeless condition. He was blind. A blind person in that time and in that culture was not highly thought of. And it was often thought that a person's blindness was a direct result of some sin that they had committed or some sin that their parents had committed. And so bl the blind and the disabled were often viewed in that culture as being like under judgment from God, okay? Because we know in another, reaction, another interaction that Jesus had with healing a blind person, people came to Jesus and were like, hey, this guy's blind. Uh, who sinned, him or his parents? Like, like what's the... We know he's under judgment because he's disabled, but, but who sinned, him or his parents? And so there was not a lot of mercy or compassion in the ancient world in regards to the disabled or the blind. And therefore, a blind person would not have many other options except to beg for money and food just to survive the day. And this is likely what he did day after day. He would sit on the roadside and he would beg but today was going to be different for him. 
He's begging. He hears a crowd coming. Again, he can't see a crowd coming, right? He's blind, but he hears a crowd coming. And Luke's account tells that he, he asks about what all the commotion is about. And someone tells him that it's Jesus, that it's Jesus. And, and Bartimaeus, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, by him calling Jesus son of David, he's expressing his faith in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the rescuer that they've been waiting to come. He's the savior king that they have been longing for, that the prophets had told would come from the line of David. And so by him calling Jesus son of David, he's, he's expressing his faith that Jesus is the savior king. And Bartimaeus believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he cries out for mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me. The crowd then rebukes him and tries to silence him, which should remind us of how the disciples had acted in a similar way when parents were bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus, right? They rebuked them and, and tried to keep them silent. And so the crowd in this scenario, they believe that this blind beggar is, is of no significance. They think he's unimportant. They don't think that he's, he's uh, got enough status to be bothering Jesus. And so they try to silence him and keep him away. Now, Bartimaeus, he could have certainly started to think about himself the way the crowd thought of him. I mean, just imagine what it would have been like to day after day have to beg for survival. I mean, just how humbling would that be to be completely dependent upon the mercy and generosity of someone else just to survive that day? In, in college, Britt and I um, at Cedarville, uh, we had several friends that took a, an urban ministries class. Uh, Britt and I never got the opportunity to take that class, but many of our friends did. And one of the capstone assignments to this urban ministries class was to live a couple days as a homeless person. And so they would go to downtown uh, Dayton or another large city. Uh, they would go a few days without showering. They would wear ragged clothes and they would live uh, as a homeless person lives. They would beg throughout the day for money and food to survive and they would sleep out on the streets. And everyone uh, that we would talk to that took the class, many of them said that one of the toughest things about living on the streets and begging was the dehumanizing way other people would treat you. I mean, most people wouldn't even look at them, no eye contact, no word or hello. Uh, they would completely ignore their existence. And many of us, we are guilty of this as we walk through downtown and we walk past homeless on the streets. But our friends explain just how dehumanizing it was. It made you feel not human to have an other human beings not even acknowledge your existence. And what can easily happen is that after a while of hearing that message from others or yourself that you are insignificant, that you are unimportant, that you are unworthy of any help, you can start to believe that yourself. And after you've cried for help year after year and no help has come, you can start to feel like you are in a helpless and hopeless situation. You can start to feel like God is far away and that he hasn't heard you. 
I want you to feel just for a moment how Bartimaeus might have felt, right? After years of begging for survival, try to put yourself in his shoes and feel how he would have been feeling. You could start to feel like God is far, like God hasn't heard your cries for help. Like, what good have your cries for help even been? And maybe you start telling yourself to just stop. Maybe your friends and family tell you to just stop. Like, God's not hearing you. God's not near. God is far away. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't have time for you, right? He's not listening. He's not coming to your help. And maybe, maybe some of you have, have told yourself these things after years of, of dealing with a hardship or going through a struggle. You've cried out to God for help, and you haven't seen any help come. You can start to think that he's far. You can start to tell yourself what's the point. You can start to tell yourself that he doesn't hear. But the story of Bartimaeus says false to that. It says false. The story of of Bartimaeus, it, it echoes Psalm 34. Psalm 34 verse 6 says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It doesn't always feel like God is near to the brokenhearted. It doesn't always feel like God is close. It doesn't always feel like he's right next to the crushed in spirit. But listen, church, he is. He is. Have you, ever, have you guys ever noticed what is written on the passenger side rear view mirror of your car? Now, some of you probably don't use uh, your rear view mirrors very often, and that's why we kind of linger in here and let you clear out of the parking lot first. Uh, but for those that actually look at their rearview mirror on the passenger side, the rearview mirror says something interesting. It says, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And it rhymes, which is pretty cool. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, that it rhymes, so it kind of sticks with you. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You see, the passenger side mirror, it's different from the driver's side mirror. The passenger side mirror is slightly curved. It's convex in the middle. It kind of bends then back on the sides. And it's made that way in order to try to remove any blind spot uh, from the driver. But as a result of this kind of convexed curve, what happens is that things in the mirror, they appear farther away than they really are. And you see, we live in a world that has been fractured by sin, and that can have the same result in our lives. Because you see, sin, it distorts, it bends, it twists things, it deceives us, and we look for God, and He seems at times like He's far away. 
He seems at times like he's maybe not even there at all. But church, I came to bring you a word this morning that God is closer than he appears. He is closer than he appears. And hopefully you'll be reminded of that every time you look in your mirror, that God is closer than he appears. Bartimaeus has probably begged for years. He's probably cried out for help for years. And people have either told him to be quiet or they've ignored him. And so here, once again, he cries out. But this time it's going to be different because he cries out for Jesus. And he says, Jesus, son of David, the Messiah, the rescuer. He's in a helpless and hopeless condition, but he cries out for mercy and desperation. And look what happens in verse 49, Mark 10, verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Notice first that Jesus stops. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped. Jesus stops. We we, we talked about last week how Jesus is determined to get to Jerusalem, right? He has set his face on Jerusalem because he knows his ultimate purpose is to go give his life, to offer his life up as a sacrifice for sins, as a ransom for many. And so he is determined to get to Jerusalem. His disciples are all amazed and fearful because here's this guy saying, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. And yet he's like leading the way to Jerusalem, right? He is determined to get there. This is the plan of God for him to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus has a plan. His eyes are set on Jerusalem. Bartimaeus cries out and Jesus stops. Jesus stops. He does not see Bart. I'm just going to call him Bart from now on. Okay. He does not see Bart as an interruption to his plans but as an opportunity to extend the mercy and compassion of God to him. He does not see him as an interruption to his plans, but as an opportunity to extend the mercy and compassion of God to him. And what a great example that Jesus leaves us, right, for his followers to follow after. He's determined to get to to Jerusalem, And yet he hears the cry of the hurting and he stops because he does not see the cry of the hurting as an interruption to his plan, but as an opportunity to extend the mercy and compassion of God. So my question for us is, do we stop for those who are hurting? Do we stop for those who are hurting? Yesterday I was frantically kind of trying to compile all my study on this text and trying to pull it together to write a sermon. Uh, Some weeks it kind of comes together uh, quicker than others. Some weeks are busier at the hospital than others. And so I was kind of wrestling with things, trying to pull it all together. Okay. And, uh, and and for whatever reason, uh, this month has just been crazy with how much illness there has been, uh, not only just in our community, but in our family and in our church family. And so many kids have had fevers and coughs and it's 
it's just been going around. And so uh, yesterday, I mean, I'm like listening to lungs. I'm calling in medicine. Family are, uh, and friends are messaging me and calling me. And I'm starting to get frustrated because I had planned to get the sermon done by 2 p.m. And all these sick and hurting people kept distracting me from how I planned for my day to go. And I was starting to get really annoyed with all these, right, hurting people. They're just kind of getting in my way, right? They're taking up my brain space. My brain is supposed to be laser focused on sermon writing. And now all I'm thinking about is like certain dosages and calculating kids' weights and all this stuff, right? But what I enjoy most about preaching is that usually whatever the sermon text is that week, something will happen where God will just convict me really hard on something. And so I don't know, you know, I, I, hope, I hope these sermons are at some point helpful to you, but they're very helpful for me in the preparation. And so uh, yesterday, uh, as I'm, you know, frustrated by all these things that are interrupting what I had planned to do, God just brings me back to this word and he reminds me that Jesus stops for the hurting. These are not interruptions. These are opportunities to extend the mercy of God through stopping and hearing the call of the hurting. But are we stopping? Are we hearing? Or are we just too busy in life that we're going 100 miles per hour, right, with, with, with K-Love cranked to like so loud so that we can't hear all the hurting people crying out as we're passing by? Are we stopping for those who are hurting in Franklin? Are we hearing those who are hurting in Franklin? And my prayer for us is that, Lord, that help us hear the cry of the hurting and stop and stop. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Bartimaeus had probably never heard more beautiful words than those before. Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Probably what he had heard most of his life was be quiet, nobody cares, silence. He hears, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. I mean, just imagine the excitement that would be filling him at this point, okay? Uh, like, imagine the excitement of someone on The Price is Right whose name is called to come bid on, like, a washing machine, right? And take that excitement, multiply it by a 100, and that's what we've got here, right? He throws off his cloak. He springs up. I mean, he's been crying for help for years, and he hears the words, take heart, Get up. He is calling you. The words of Isaiah had probably never felt so real to Bartimaeus than right now. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, it says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, 
and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I have called you by name. You see, this disability that Bartimaeus had, he could have viewed it as a curse from God. Many in that time did view it as that, right? It was the direct result of someone's sin, like who sinned to cause him to be cursed, to be blind. That God was, right, getting him back or something like that. That God was taking out his anger on him. That God had dealt him an unfair hand in life. Little did he know that what many would have viewed as a curse is actually what led him to be called by Jesus. You see, we all too quickly view our troubles and our disabilities and our disappointments, and we all too quickly view them as a cursing from God instead of a calling from God. But you see, God knew and God knows what it would take you what it would take to call your stubborn, selfish, blind self to him. He knows what it would take to get you and call you to the foot of the cross. And he sovereignly has put things in your life, not to curse you, not to crush you, but to call you, to call you. He has placed things in your life so that you would, like Bartimaeus, that you would cry out to God and that you would respond then to the compassionate call of Jesus. So church, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. You and, and look, look at our boy Bart when he hears this. Look how he responds right away. Verse 50 it says, He throws off his cloak. As, as a blind beggar, his cloak was probably the most important possession that he had because it would be what protected him from the elements. But unlike the rich young ruler who could not give up or part ways with his possessions, Bartimaeus, he throws off his cloak, his, his cloak, excuse me, and his coke if he was drinking it, right? But he throws off his cloak, he springs up with excitement, and he goes to Jesus. And Jesus then asks him the same thing that Jesus asked James and John a few verses earlier. He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? James and John asked for glory. Let's see what he asks for, okay? Let's see what, what a blind beggar asks for. I mean, just thinking uh, practically, he might ask for money. He might ask for food. He might ask for a handout, right? It seems like that's maybe what he would ask for. Let's see what he asks for in verse 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He doesn't ask for a handout or a quick fix. He asks for a healing, a healing. And he first says, Rabbi. 
Now, in the original language, this wasn't the typical word that we usually see for rabbi. Rabbi simply means teacher, and we've, we've seen many other people call Jesus teacher. But in the original language, he doesn't actually say rabbi. He says rabbinai, rabbinai. And the word rabbinai means more than just teacher. It means master. It means lord. And it's a term in, the Jew, in Jewish literature that is rarely, if ever, used for another human being, but it is more often used in reference to God in prayer. And so Bartimaeus is not simply saying, teacher, let me see. He's saying, my master and my Lord and my God, restore my sight. He's saying, heal me, save me from my blindness. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. It saved you. And immediately he recovers his sight and he follows Jesus on the way. Now, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that someone who's been blind for most of their life, maybe their whole life, that once they recover their sight, I mean, wouldn't it seem like they would want to go see all these things that they have never seen before? Like his sight was restored, but he has nowhere else he wants to go except to follow Jesus. And when asked what he wanted from Jesus... Bartimaeus does not ask for a handout. He asks for a healing. But don't we often come to Jesus just looking for a handout? Don't we often come to Jesus because we're in some sort of trouble and we're looking for a quick fix, right? And so, uh, and so we just need him to kind of help this current situation. And so we just need him to, to give us something to just get us through what we're going through. But by doing so, by, by, by treating him that way, we neglect the deeper issues that actually need to be healed. People often come to Jesus like James and John did. They want to come to Jesus and use Jesus to get the stuff that they really want, right? Like we come to Jesus, uh, we come to church because maybe it's where uh, we're going to make friends and we want to have more friends. We want to feel like we belong somewhere. Maybe we come to Jesus because we want him to fix our marriage. Things aren't going that well. We want things to get fixed. Maybe we come to Jesus in church because we want our kids to be uh, maybe better behaved or to have good friends, and, and we want to use Jesus to get what we want. We want Jesus, right? We want to use Jesus to maybe just make us feel a little bit better about ourselves, make us feel more religious and, and morally superior to other people. And many of us hear the question from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? And we view him then as like a genie in a bottle that we get three wishes from. But what do you ultimately want Jesus to do for you? Like, apply this question to yourself. What do you ultimately want Jesus to do for you? Like, is it really, really more money? Like, you think a little bit more money that actually solves all your problems? What do you want Jesus to do? To ultimately do for you better better health you think you really think just maybe being physical you know physically a little bit more healthy you think that solves your issues in life you think it's better behaved kids really like if they just would maybe behave better maybe that would make life work a little bit better for you 
Maybe you just want more control or more power or more status or more respect at work. Like, really? You think if you got those things that that would take away the emptiness in your soul, that 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 would settle the confusion in your heart? And church, this is the last healing that Jesus will perform before he gets to Jerusalem. He's healed the blind before, and all along this journey, we are seeing him heal something else. He's been healing his disciples' spiritual blindness. He's been healing his disciples' spiritual blindness. You see, it is the spiritual blindness of his followers that is their main problem that needs to be healed, and the same is true of us. The same is true of us. The Apostle Paul affirms this as well in writing to the church in Corinth. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We've got it up here on the screen. He writes, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why is it not ourselves that we proclaim, but we proclaim Jesus? Because God has filled our hearts with light and given us eyes to see the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I would like to share with you all an excerpt from the Walker Family Testament, okay? Uh, This was uh, my sister Betsy's uh, idea uh, a few years ago. Uh, We started compiling stories uh, from um, our parents and and one another about just how we have seen God's faithfulness in our life. And we wanted to do this because we wanted our kids to not only see God's faithfulness uh, in here, right, in the Bible, uh, but we also wanted them to see his faithfulness in our own lives and in our own testimonies. And yes, we want our kids to know that God is the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he's also the God of Grammy and Pappy and Poppy and Grandma and Granny and Aunt Betsy and Uncle Ben, right? And so we wanted to compile some of our own stories about how we had seen God's faithfulness. And so I want to share an excerpt from the Family Testament uh, that my mom wrote. Uh, She's given me permission to to share it, okay, so she knows about this. Uh, And some of you, some of you know that uh, I have one sister here on earth, and I have one sister that is in heaven. Uh, Her name is Marie, and she was two years older than me. And she was born with a rare chromosomal abnormality called trisomy 13. Uh, She was born with no eyes, so she was blind her entire life. She never developed past the development of an infant. Uh, She could never see. She could never talk. Uh, Most babies that were born with trisomy 13 do not live past a few days. And ever since she was born, the doctors had told my parents that she could die any day and uh, that they didn't know how long she would live. And so my parents lived that way one day at a time, thinking maybe this is the day Marie will pass away, and they did that for 18 years. And you can imagine how difficult that would be for my mom and dad to care for a severely handicapped 
daughter. And my mom wrote this. She recorded this about, about a decade ago. She wrote this. So these are my mom's words. She says, The Lord has taught me much, but one day I felt weary and indulged in a little pity party. You guys ever have those parties? Pity party. They're not the most fun to be at, but... Uh, she says, I asked the Lord to again give me the strength in caring for her. Speaking of Marie, I was led to turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 50, which is the account of the blind beggar crying out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. Those words seemed to jump off the page with Jesus asking me what I wanted him to do for me. I felt so loved that Jesus would personally ask me what I wanted, but then began my search through my thoughts as to what I really wanted. Did I want the Lord to heal Marie physically? Did I want him to take her to heaven? If so, when did I want that to happen? And I remember feeling so relieved that I didn't have to make those decisions, but I could trust my loving Father and his perfect will. So then what did I want? I went on reading the account and the blind beggar's request. I want to regain my sight. That's it. That's what I told the Lord that I wanted. I wanted to regain my sight, to learn and see all that he had for me. I didn't want to miss anything that he wanted to show me. My pity party was over. Jesus cared. And after reading my mom's testimony, that then was the question I started asking myself as I prayed for not only myself, but my family and for our church, for my kids, what do I ultimately want? And I think I came to the same conclusion. I think followers of Jesus, we come to this conclusion. Ultimately, I want, like Psalm 34 says, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to see my life the way God sees my life. I want to see my hardships and my trials the way God sees my hardships and my trials. I want to see the hurting people that are crying out for help. I want to see them like God sees them. I ultimately, I want my kids to see the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want our church to see just how good this good news really is. I want our city to have eyes to see the love of God and the mercy of God that has been extended to them through the compassionate call of Jesus. I want us to recover our sight. Give us eyes to see. Lord, let us recover our sight. Just like Bartimaeus, my blind sister Marie taught me a lot about my own spiritual blindness. They teach us a lot about our helpless and hopeless condition because of our sin 
and that it is only through the merciful call of Jesus that we can be healed. It is only through faith in him that we can be healed, that our sight can be restored, that we can see the way he sees. But what about you? Do you believe that your spiritual blindness has left you helpless and hopeless? Have you experienced the merciful and compassionate call of Jesus? If so, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. What do you ultimately want him to do for you? Do you want eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Do you want to see your life the way God sees your life? Do you want to see the hurting the way God sees the hurting? Do you want to see your hardships and trials the way God sees them? Church, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Psalm 146 verse 8 says that it is the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. And may he do that this morning. Let's pray.